Welcome to the John Brown University Chapel Podcast, recorded in the historic Cathedral of the Ozarks in Salem Springs, Arkansas. This week's chapel speaker was Rosemary Flayton. Rosemary is Executive Director for the Center for Healthy Relationships and Instructor of Ministry at John Brown University. It's my pleasure to introduce our speaker for today and for Thursday. This is our annual CHR Week, sponsored by JBU's Center for Healthy Relationships. Some of you know it yet, come on. Each year the center takes a week to remind us that there is no triune God without relationships. And therefore there's no Christianity, no Christian, no, no healthy Christian without a web of relationships marked by, marked by Christ's love and forgiveness. The Center for Healthy Relationships is part of the JBU community and serves as a resource here to help you build this important part of your life. With its main office on the second floor of Walker, which overlooks the atrium, the team develops resources that JBU students can have access to, the, um, and it offers you these relationship resources through workshops and events and by appointment uh, to work with you one-on-one -on, -one on anything that is a struggle for you uh, with your significant relationships. This year's speaker is the center's new executive director, Ms. Rosemary Flayton. All right, I like to hear that. Rosemary, as she'd prefer you, to, prefer, you, prefer you to call her, is finishing off her first year at JBU. Last September, her, her and her husband moved from Calgary, Alberta, where she had been serving on a pastoral staff for 12 years at Center Street Church, which is a quite large church, I think 7,000 people. Um, in that time, Rosemary focused on leadership development in the church and international experiences. And she also served as part of the church's preaching team and served as a writer, writer uh, editor, and presenter for the church's denomination, the Evangelical Missionary Church of Canada. Throughout her ministry, Rosemary has been developing resources, particularly on the topic of healthy sexuality, and is finishing Doctor of Ministry in Leadership from Denver Seminary. She also studied spiritual direction with Dr. Larry Crabb and won the World Guild Award for her book, A Woman and Her Relationships. It's been a joy and a gift that Rosemary has joined the JBU community, and the students that have connected with her so far tell me uh, that you have helped them tremendously through some difficult contexts, that um, you're a great listener and really fun to be around. So I think those are great praises. I hope you all get a chance to interact with Rosemary in your time here uh, at JBU and take advantage of the center and its many resources. So please join me today in welcoming our speaker to, uh, for today and Thursday, Ms. Rosemary Flayton. Arkansas as you're going to get out of me. I'm still practicing y'all to say it properly so it's not doesn't sound too Canadian. It is, has been an amazing five months here at JBU. I looked back at my journal last night and a year ago today I didn't even know JBU existed. It wasn't until March the 3rd that I actually found out about this job. God does amazing things to have us here and every time I sit in chapel and sing and worship with you I'm just reminded of God's faithfulness his goodness. Let's read God's word together. I'll read. You read along in, in your mind. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. And Jesus actually tells them three parables, of which I'm now going to flip to the third one. 
Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the, father said to him, uh, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never even gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the gospel of the Lord. This is a story that many of us know well. And the familiarity of this passage can actually work against us. If you're like me, when I hear a passage that I, you know, I learned about this in Sunday school, I can think, oh, I know what that says. And it's a challenge sometimes to find something fresh, something applicable to today. February 28th, 2023, right here in Siloam Springs. We all know it, the story of the prodigal son. As if there was only one main character in this story. I'm tempted to dismiss or ignore it. But I want to put a challenge out to you today. I would encourage you to take a chance that the Holy Spirit has something new for you today. Something very personal, 
something rather transform transformational. Not rather, actually very transformational for you personally and for your relationships. A word that will transform your heart. A challenge to be open to a new word from the ancient word. So let's pray together. God, open our, eye, our ears, open our heart. Make us receptive to what you want to do. We acknowledge your presence in this room. And Lord, we ask that you would move mightily amongst us today. May none of us leave unchanged. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. I love words. I'm an educator. Educators use words as our primary means of imparting knowledge to you. I'm an author. Authors are very specific to get the exact word to convey their meaning. I'm a leader, and when our team is you know, coming up with crazy ideas on what to do in relationship week, we use words back and forth. We don't play charades. I'm a mom, I'm a wife, and I've used a lot of words, probably a lot more than my, my husband and my three kids would care to, uh, probably wished I'd used a few less words along the way. But over the next two chapels, we're going to focus on two words. And I believe these words are lived out spectacularly in this parable. These are common words. The word today is both common and ubiquitous. It is everywhere. The word on Thursday is a little less common and a little less used. Have I piqued your interest yet? Well, I'm actually not going to tell you what this word is yet. Instead, I'm going to describe it. I'm going to pretend that we're playing one of my favorite games, catchphrase. You know what happens with catchphrase, right? Anybody play catchphrase? You've got to describe the word without using any part of it. So that's what we're going to do for the next few minutes. I'm going to use a descriptive word. I'm actually going to use an, it's an adjective. That's the only, only hint I'm going to give you. And an adjective is a descriptive word that's used to display or define the characteristics of a person. So today, I'm going to use this adjective to describe the sons in this parable. Notice I say sons, plural, because there's two lost sons in this parable. And even though there are many differences between them, the choices that they make chart the course of their life, and there's many similarities. We're going to see how their stories meet in the use of this adjective. How are the sons the same? So without telling you the word, let me describe what we see in the sons. We see the younger son demanding to take hold of something that was not his to have. The father is still alive, and as such, the family assets still belong to the father, not to the sons. By definition, an inheritance is something, whether that's wealth or position, that is, comes to somebody upon the death of somebody else. Last September, Queen Elizabeth of England died, and her son, Prince Charles, he did not inherit the, all the land, the wealth, and the title two years before she died, two weeks before she died, even two hours before she died. The queen had to be declared dead in order for him to become king. In the case of this parable, daddy wasn't dead. 
but the son demanded his inheritance. And in saying so, he was as if he was saying, I wish you were dead. You are as good to me as dead. His demand was rooted in an impatience, in an egocentric perspective that caused him to view the world through the lens that revolved around himself. I want this. I deserve this. I'm going to get it any way I can. Get out of my way, old man. Can you feel it? Can you feel this, this tension in the relationship? Now, for those of you who studied family and human services or psychology, you're, about, you're probably thinking, oh man, this guy fits the DSM-5 description of narcissism, right? You're right. It is. This is a great example of it. Because it doesn't matter what the impacts of his actions are towards his family or anything else, it is about him. And so he goes and he lives it up, right? It's as if the, when the father relinquishes the money, the inheritance to him, it's like he hops in his Lamborghini and he spins out the driveway, you know, gravel spitting in the father's face. I'm out of here, I'm free squanders his wealth on wild living, anything to make himself feel good. It's all about me. Now, I'm not going to try and take time to define, you know, what uh, the uh, wild living looks like. Because it's, you know, I think we've probably, if you've sat at church for very long, you've probably heard sermons about that. Not going there. But I am going to share with you my foray into, my first foray into wild living was about when I was 12. And I had some friends at that stage who were starting to get into um, drinking and smoking. And I knew if I took up the, the beer and wine and ate a little whiskey, my parents would kill me or else ground me for life. Plus, I didn't know where to get it. And even smoking, I didn't know where or how I was going to get a pack of smokes. I was a small town. If I had managed to buy one at the store, which, you know, back in the day, you could actually do that. You didn't have to produce ID, but my grandmother would have found out within an hour and then I would have been dead. So, but I had this rebellious streak in me as a 12 year old. And so I went into the backyard and I was going to do something really bad. Out of my pocket, I pulled a Kleenex and I rolled it really tight. really tight and I thought it was pretty cool I lit it you know I did and I knew that the really bad people they inhaled so I inhaled my Kleenex and I almost died like from coughing if nothing else don't try it don't try that at home okay so not a serious incident or example of my rebellious attitude But it actually started right around that time, and it grew, and it grew. And I, into my teens, was lying to my parents. I was spending money that they had entrusted to me in ways that they would not have been pleased with. Really, I had an attitude, I was going to live my life my way, and don't tell me what to do. Highly independent. And I look back now and I see the truth of James 1, 14 and 15. That each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire is conceived or it's taken root, it gives birth to sin. And sin, which is full grown, gives birth to death. It was true of the, older, the younger son. 
It's true of me. Maybe you can see yourself in that as well. Now let's step away from the younger son, because remember there's two lost sons here, and let's talk about the actions of the older son and how they mirror the younger. At first glance, the older son is willing to put the needs of the family or the wishes of the father before his own. He seems very, very altruistic in that sense. He's dedicated to hard work. He doesn't rock the boat. He's the model child. He's the good boy of the family, at least compared to but his actions towards the father when the party is thrown reveals a darker side that mirrors the adjective, I haven't told you what it is yet, I haven't used it yet, of the younger son. How so? Well, when the father throws the party for the younger son, the older brother becomes indignant, angry, self-righteous, entitled, and instead of coming into the house, he's like, uh-uh, I'm staying out here. I'm done. Forget it, old man. I've had it with you. I'm not going in there. I don't get what I want around here. I'm out of here. Now the father, in his attempt to draw in the son, leaves the party to go outside to get the older son. Now from our Western eyes, no big deal. So the old man goes out to talk to his son, not a big deal. But in the, the, day, in the Jewish culture of the day, for the host to leave the party was actually incredibly rude to the guests demeaning and, and unbefitting of the host of that time. It caused the father disgrace, just like the younger son had when he demanded his inheritance and left. So at this point, you know, the two brothers are looking pretty similar. Both sons are guilty of breaking that relationship with their father. Both sons care less about the father and the family than they do their own desires. Both sons indulge their own self-worth and importance over others. Both their actions and their words break down the relationship. I've been both brothers. I've shared you a silly younger brother story. But the stories of my older brother phrase cause me much greater consternation. I was probably the age of most of you in this room in my early 20s. A good friend who was a, was a junior high teacher, her and I had gone out for dinner and we were driving out of downtown and instead of taking the usual, the usual street out of downtown Calgary, I took a, a left turn that took me down what was called the Strip. Not Vegas, but it had the same reputation. And as we're driving along, you know, on every street corner, you would see women. Well, actually, most of them were girls. Hair done up, heavy makeup, necklines too low, shirts too short, boots too high. Girls who are waiting for their next trick to sell their bodies to somebody who would pay for sex. And as we drove, I scornfully, you know, I just, I was making fun of them. Like, look at the one with the leopard skin coat. And, and look at that man, she's old, she's been used up. And on and on. And just, I was expecting my friend to join into the fun, the shame that I was, was, was pouring on these women. And she didn't, thankfully. And she taught me a lesson that day. She looked at me, tears in her eyes. She said, Don't ever do that again. That girl on the corner back there, she's in my grade nine science class. 
And when she leaves school at 2.30 when the bell rings, she has a choice to make. She can go home and she can be abused by her dad, or she can go downtown and at least make some money having sex. <sighs> that day, there were two women, two sisters. A 15, the younger sister, a 15-year-old prostitute, and me, the older, a 20-something who'd grown up in a Christian home that did all the right thing. I was the good girl. I'd been to Sunday school. I knew the books of the Bible. I was leading a Bible study. I'd done it all well. I had an impressive family of God resume, and I was certainly better than that daughter on the street corner, or so I thought. No, I was actually the older brother standing out, scorning the other family member, having this superior attitude towards myself, pushing somebody else down in order to feel better about myself. Now, I still haven't given you the adjective. I've used synonyms. I've described it in the brothers. I've described it in myself. Are you ready for the big reveal? It's actually a pretty simple word. You're not going to need the dictionary. You're not even going to need to Google it. Here it is. Selfishness is being concerned excessively or exclusively for oneself or one's own advantage. Let me put it in the personal. My selfishness is when I am excessively or exclusively concerned for my own advantage, for my own pleasure, for my own welfare, regardless of others. Now, before you write this off, say, yeah, it's not a big deal. Let me show you what this looks like at JBU. So last week, I did a little research. I sent out 49 emails with an anonymous invita an invitation to make an anonymous uh, reply telling me, what does it look, what does selfishness look like in your life? I got 25 responses. That's a pretty good research subject, isn't it? Like, I, I'm not real great on research, but I would think that's a pretty good one, 25 out of 49. And I'm going to tell you some of the responses word for word. So now these are, so this is what selfishness looks like right here, right on campus. In fact, there's a good chance some of you are in the room who I'm going to be reading your words today. But let's not, let's not kind of get into this place. Oh yeah, that's somebody else. Let's put the mirror right in front of us right now and say, what does this look like? Is this me? Could this be me? So here's some of the responses that I got. I certainly know they, re they reflect my reality, unfortunately. I check out. My family responsibilities, my group work, I just leave the work to my friends and to my spouse. I often cancel or reschedule events because I convince myself I don't have the energy when actually I think I'm actually prone to laziness. I exploded all over my husband when he suggested plans that I didn't like. I wanted my birthday my way with my family. I stay cemented to my vices and ignore everyone around me. Or I ignore the call from the person that I perceive is too needy. I internally calculate and keep the score for how much I perceive I'm getting or giving. I'm reluctant to commit in case someone, something better comes up. 
I try to catch the eye of a cute guy because it makes me feel attractive. I pretend I'm asleep so I don't have to respond to my wife's touch. I offered to dish up dessert so I could give myself the best peace. Selfishness. Putting yourself first. Making your own desires trump everyone else's. Looking out for yourself and not caring about the impact of others. Going after what you want. This egotistical perspective on life that leads to entitlement. And it's wreaking havoc on our relationships. Selfishness is like a cancer that is insidiously destroying our relationships. We see it in the impact of the suns. We read it in these, these responses to the survey. Can we see it in ourselves? Now, I want, to draw, I want to drill a little bit deeper rather than just saying, oh, yeah, it's all about what's happening on our horizontal relationships because it does impact that. But I want, to, I want to go a little bit deeper to the core of selfishness. And it's something that as good Christians, we really don't like to talk about. Idolatry. Idolatry is this disordered life that puts self at the center. And if I may quote John Calvin, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. Let me read that again. The human heart is a perpetual idol factory. The fruit of selfishness that we see around us and in ourselves is coming from this tree of idolatry. We've made ourselves, our pleasure, our fulfillment, our rest, our life, our goals, our... You fill in the blanks. And yes, our horizontal relationships are broken. But our vertical relationship is what is really impacted. This is what God has to say about making ourselves the center of the universe. Ezekiel 6, 8. They will realize, this is God speaking, they will realize how devastated I was by their betrayals, by their voracious lust to gratify themselves in their idolatries. Oof. There's some strong words in that one, isn't there? Voracious lust. Gratify themselves. What happens? There's a devastation. There's a destroying. There's an eroding of relationships. You know, one of the JBU respondents to my survey said that, that they realized that it was selfish that, selfishness that caused them to repeatedly hit the snooze button. And in doing so, she gave in to this selfish pleasure of sleeping in and missing out on her quiet time with Jesus. And this isn't about, oh, i got to get up and do my quiet time so I can check it off. This is about she's realizing, I'm not spending time with Jesus. And the impact is my relationship is deteriorating with God. This is a season of Lent, a time where we're called to extend a time of reflection and repentance. And I want us to follow the example of David who says, search my heart. And no, see if there be any offensive. Let's change that. Let's see if there be any selfish way in me. We all know the story of David, right? He selfishly took something that did not belong to him. He saw a beautiful woman, Bathsheba, taking a bath. He said, I want her. I want her. 
He has her brought to his, his room. And by all intents and purposes, he forced himself on her. She was a married woman. He took what did not belong to him. And then he murdered her husband to cover it up. Selfishness. I want to do life my way. But David fell on his knees and he cried, oh God, reveal my sin to me. Show me. You see, that's not the end of the story. There's restoration. There's hope. And you know what? I can't get too far into that because that's Thursday's message. This is a little bit like a good Friday service. We're just going to talk about the really hard stuff today. Come back on Thursday and get the really good news. But you know what? Confession actually is good news. I don't like admitting my sin to my husband or my friends, even to God. But it is the humility that comes by saying, this is ruining me. And I can't let this go on. It's ruining my relationships. We need to eradicate completely all of it, even the little smidgens of selfishness. My friend, the friend back in Canada, she has throat cancer right now. Her throat, her mouth were full of tumors, large and small. And had, if the oncologist had said to her, you know what, we'll take care of the big ones. Don't worry about those little tumors. They won't, they won't really materialize into anything. No. She had every one of them sapped. Why? Because if she didn't, those little ones would be the ones that would grow into the big ones that would probably kill her. Let's let the Holy Spirit reveal to us today our attitudes, our patterns of relating, our actions, the big and the small. Reveal to us. Let's confess Let's find freedom in that. We're going to sing about the goodness of God because it's because of his goodness that we actually can come. We can come and reveal to him, man, I've messed up. Let's take this time right now to do that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the John Brown University Chapel Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, and we'd love it if you'd leave us a review.